0: Another Monday morning in America, gentlemen, and that means that we raise our glasses to the troops who kept us safe all weekend. OG, I know you had a good weekend.
2: Well, I'm at Cedar Point right now. <laughs> 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 Mom, I want uh, a corn dog. Uh, uh.
0: <laughs> isn't it funny how you're at cedar point and the guy who's our guest today has a book called uh, never ride a roller coaster upside down so just remember that og never ride a roller coaster upside down too late uh yeah. that eliminates like half the roller coasters it totally does but on behalf of the men and women making podcast in mom's basement and the men and women of navy federal credit union here's to our troops kept us safe all weekend thanks everybody
3: what a filthy job could be worse how could be rainy? Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and are you ready for world domination? Here to help us build our empires is a man whose last name should be Simoleons because he's accumulated a lot of them. It's the man who created New York's iconic radio station, The Fan, and the former owner of the Seattle Mariners, Jeff Smolian. For our TikTok Minute, we'll hear from one cougar about how you just might need disability insurance more than you think. And in our headline segment, things are a ch 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 That sounded awful. One institution is saying goodbye and another is swooping in to help you move your money more efficiently. Plus, the rules are changing in the world of estate planning. We'll share both stories. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky stacker. And of course, I will regale you with some pretty catchy trivia. And now two guys who are changing the world of finance it's joe and oh
0: and a happy monday to you stackers man we got an action-packed agenda uh oh gee i found out something really interesting over the weekend you know doug has been very humble the whole time he's been here on the show did you know that truth wouldn't
2: know anything about that
0: it doesn't seem like it at all that yet i found out the other day that he gives half of his paycheck to animals
2: I do What oh, nice. a nice nice guy
0: well, specifically ponies but you know half of half the paycheck mm-hmm. goes there half of yeah it. number five horse in the number three race hey everybody we do have a great show today how about that when do you get the the former owner of a baseball team david letterman's first boss Guy worked with uh, Don Imus, created The Fan in New York City, done one or two kind things. a legend. Yeah. Jeff Simoleon joins us today to tell uh, stories, good and bad, from building his empire that we can all learn from. But before that, we got a bunch of great stuff, including, by the way, are you sitting down? OG, are you sitting down? It looks like you're Pres- sitting down. Are you Presently. sitting down? Because yes, get this. The fifth time. Yeah, hold on. Get this. create a plan that fits your needs and your budget, State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.
2: Well, now I think I should stand up. Oh, stand up for the
0: next one. Check this out. Oh, whew. Jeff Simoleon coming down to the basement. But first, it's a, like a hallelujah, like the choirs singing and angels. Fix
2: it in post, Steve. What's that? Put the angels behind you. Oh, oh
0: yeah. We, we got a great headline, so let's move.
1: Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines.
0: The day's finally here, OG. We thought it would never be here. It's amazingly here, it's a rare two-headline day because there's nothing actionable in this headline, but I just have to say, you and I have talked about this for ages, and it's now happened.
2: What? What are you talking about?
0: This is uh, from CNBC, a piece written by Jeff Cox. Of course, you saw this story all over mid-last week. Federal Reserve officially launches new FedNow Instant Payment Service. Believe it or not, I know, I know it's a little early, but ACH might be dead. (laughs) Unbelievable. I I had no
2: idea what you're talking about.
0: How about that? ACH, where it took, you know, three days for Uh a check to clear, the same as it did back in 1992.
2: Right. It's funny. um, I worked for a bank for a lot of years, and um, the actual process for that, how it's, you know, obviously evolved over the years... Do you remember, I mean, you guys remember, but I don't know that there's a lot of people that knew that this happened. First of all, nobody writes checks anymore. But when you do, you used to get them back. That's right. At the end of the month. Like you'd get a you letter. Your statement. With your statement. And here's all the stuff you paid. And it would come back to you. And then you would go through and go, oh, I'm still missing the check that I wrote to, you know, the my brother-in-law for his birthday or something. You know, you'd have to balance all that stuff out. And then the Check 21 system, which was the... The version of you can take pictures of checks you don't actually have to physically have them because that was the deal you had to physically have them and check 21 the rule made it so that you could present electronic copies which is you know basically how we do it now but it is always kind of interesting that it always took that long because like well you know exactly where this money is you know use the use the power of the interwebs webs make this faster In this piece, people talk about
0: how Venmo's been doing that for a while, and this new system is not at all like Venmo. Apparently, OG, to make this happen, to your point, just like with ACH, lots of stuff has to happen behind the scenes. Like for Venmo to actually give you your money instantly, they don't actually have your money instantly, apparently. I didn't know that. Uh, I just thought, hey, Venmo can do this immediately. Why can't our system, the ACH system, do it immediately? Apparently, Venmo was kind of borrowing money out of the one bucket to, to they were making some magic happen. let's just put it that way. But yeah. this is not that at all. The federal reserve has built this FedNow now service to make everyday payments over the coming years, faster, more convenient fed chair, Jerome Powell said over time, as more banks choose to use this new tool, the benefits to individuals and businesses will include enabling a person to immediately receive a paycheck or a company to instantly access funds. When an invoice is paid, it just seems so late for this. It seems like it's just taken forever. For something that, I don't know, seems like we've had the technology to do that for a long time. I don't want to belabor that point. I just wanted to, uh, that's a big headline, but nothing actionable for our stackers. Just keep doing what you're doing. The big actionable headline I have, though, here in front of me, OG, comes to us from Kiplinger, the IRS. Did you see this? IRS quietly changed the rules on your children's inheritance. You know anything about this?
2: (laughs) I love sensational headlines. I think I know what this is talking about, having not read it, but I have a pretty good sense of what this is about.
0: This is a piece written by Lindsey Graves Esquire. Uh, she says in March, the IRS issued Revenue Ruling uh, 2023-2, which had a substantial impact on estate planning, particularly where an irrevocable trust is involved. In the last decade or so, more families have begun utilizing irrevocable trust to protect their assets from spend down in order to qualify for government benefits like Medicaid, VA aid, and attendance. Basically what happens, OG, it turns out that property like your house, if it's held in an irrevocable trust that's not included in the taxable estate at death, is no longer going to receive a step-up in basis.
2: Big deal? You say irrevocable, I say irrevocable. Um, I mean, the whole idea with an irrevocable trust is that it's for the assets that are above the estate tax limit. And so the estate tax limit right now is about $12.5 million. And if you're married, you, with relatively easy estate planning, can double that. So if your net worth is somewhere south of $25 million, or you project that it will be south of $25 million when you die, this is a non-issue. What they're talking about, of course, is, I guess you could think about it a little bit of as a loophole, right? So when you put an asset in an irrevocable trust, you're saying that this is, this is money that I will never count on again. This is not my money legally. It's not yours anymore. Yeah. Right. It's not mine. I have no interest in it. I have no ability to get money from it. I have no ability to control the investment of this. It's completely not mine. And so if you think about it, if you've just given your money away, for the purposes of, like they're talking about, to to allow for you to, you know, qualify for different aid or qualify for different benefits because you've said, well, I don't want to claim this. I don't want the ability for this to be touched. Then why would you be able to get a tax benefit in the future on that money, which is the step-up in basis? And what the step-up is, is when you inherit money from, from someone else, you don't have to pay taxes based on their cost of the asset. And I'll give you an example. Let's say that, you know... Graham and grandpa bought Apple stock back in 1985 when it was a dollar a share. And they've held it this whole time. And they don't want to sell it because there'd be a million dollars of gains and they'd have to pay you know $200,000 in taxes, right? They die and give the money to you and you want to sell it because you don't want to be concentrated in Apple stock. Your cost basis, what you'll put on your tax forms, are the is the value that they gave it to you when they died. So they die and the Apple stock is worth a million dollars. Now your cost is a million bucks. So you could sell it today with no taxes. So that's the benefit of the step up. And so you think about like big things like farms or, you know, family properties that have been around for a while, you know, Warren Buffett famously owns the same house that he bought in 1957. He's got a ton of equity in that house. If he sells it and and doesn't, you know, well, I mean, now he gets a tax break, but you get the idea. If you want to avoid the capital gains tax, you can just gift it to somebody. But well, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. You can't say, well, I got all this money, but I want to use it for my health care or my government. You know, I want the government to pay for me. And I also want a tax break. So you only get one of those. So you got to pick. So I don't think that there's a lot of people that are going to be using that need to be using your trust, frankly. Well, the
0: reason she says more families are using it is if you have the need possibly coming up in the far future for long term care. You know, to qualify for government assistance for long-term care, which can be incredibly expensive, you have to spend down most of your assets before you get there. So, yeah, a lot of all
2: of them, like all but two grand, you know, I mean, you really have to spend all of your money. Yeah,
0: Now, to fight against uh, people using irrevocable trust and and, and just, you know, (laughs) pulling a king Lear and giving away all their money, you know, as quickly as they possibly can. What the government has done is they have a look back period where, right. so, so you got to really be willing to live on nothing for a long time to be able to make this work. But still, uh, which is this- which,
2: just for a second, think about how silly that is. Yeah. I've not known there to be a wildly successful, popular, well run government program TSP. I don't, does the government run that? I thought you, I thought you, at, at first my brain went TSA and I was like, <laughs> have you flown lately? <laughs> but so you're talking about healthcare, right? You're saying you're like, I don't want to pay my own money. I want the government to do it. It's like, really? Are you sure about that? Have you thought through this? If you have the resources, you really want the government to be in charge of your, you know, your, your assisted care later in life. I mean, I
0: don't think it should be the number one plan. Like you're, Go-to.
2: Well, and that's the point. It's like, you have to give this money away so far in advance, right? Because of these look back provisions and some states are enacting lifetime look back provisions because of this particular issue where they're going, well, we're just going to look at all of your tax returns and see how much money you gave away your entire life. And, and yeah, well, you can't count all that. And so it's just kind of a silly, you know, I've got 2 million bucks in the bank, but I don't want to use that. I want the government to pay for my health care. Like, well, you got to, like, get a nice place, you know, have some good care. I don't know. Estate planning,
0: though, an important part of people's plan. Obviously, this isn't going to hit as many people as this headline seems to suggest, OG. But uh, but getting your will done, getting your estate plan done, getting a trust done, huge part of, of putting your assets in order.
2: Well, the biggest piece when it comes to estate planning is recognizing that it's going to change over time. Over my career, this is uh, July 1st was the 25th year that I've been doing this. And so over my career, the state tax limit has been as low as zero, where there was no limit to, you know, the amount of money that you could die with to, you know, started at 600,000, where every dollar amount, dollar above 600,000 was taxed. And now it's 12 million. And it's kind of gone up and down over the years. Estate planning, like financial planning, is not something that you can just go, all right, I did it. I don't have to think about this again. You know, because there are concerns like a uh, long-term care cost, or maybe you have a special needs child or grandchild in your family or something, you know, and, and in those circumstances, I think it does make sense to be aware of, of your benefits and that sort of thing. So you don't necessarily just want to let, again, the government has a plan for you and your money. If you choose not to have one, they have a a default plan and I'm not entirely sure that that's the, that's the best solution. I'll just let the court system decide how my money gets divvied up. (laughs) They seem like a fair bunch over there. Probably a
0: better idea to take matters into your own hands. Get your state I mean, we're seeing, done.
2: You know, You know, we're seeing even just kind of anecdotally here, we're seeing all of the leftover stuff with Aretha Franklin. We talked about that, you know, a year or two ago when she passed away and how there was this stuff going on about she had a will, but it was handwritten in her couch cushions and all this other sort of stuff. Well, it's finally gone to court. And guess what? Half the kids are like, there's no way mom wrote that. You know, and the other half are like, yeah, it says here she wrote it. I don't
0: know. And guess you know, which ones are th- which camp? <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
2: it's like, this is easy. It's a couple of bucks. You solve it once and for all and, you, and you're done. And then you just, you know, you review it from time to time. So get your state plan done. Time for
0: our TikTok minute. This is the part of the show where we shine a light on uh, some brilliance or air quote brilliance that a Brilliant. TikToker has Brilliant. created. Oh, uh, Doug, you think this one is brilliant? It's brilliant. Yes. Yes. The real deal. Th- th- think about There have been so many times where I'm like, you know, if I'd been paying a little bit better attention, I would have known this was coming. Like, I would have totally known that this was coming. And, um, well, this particular woman may end up needing disability coverage more than she thinks that she will in the future. Let's listen in.
2: Okay, so I just took all 230 pounds of this on a hike, and the people who walked by me said, cougar alert, and I was like, thank you, thank you very much, feeling good about these miles, and now I'm definitely feeling good, because I'm a cougar, thank you. <sighs> yeah, that, that might not be. <laughs> she, she better look out <laughs> around the corner. There's there might out. be, there might There's be
0: not two... A, Two cougars on that
3: path. And you know what? I mean, cougars, <laughs> the, the scary thing is that cougars pounce on you from behind. Like, it, there's, it's not, looking gonna forward it isn't going to help you because they stalk their prey from behind. <laughs> they usually get up a little bit above you, you and then they just jump on you from behind.
0: Yeah. Are you talking about yeah. Friday night at Fat Jack's and State Line? <laughs> is that what you're talking about, Doug? That happens to me all the time.
3: Just suddenly, I got one on my back. <laughs> the cougars just there's speak up on him.
2: <laughs> they just latch on.
0: <laughs> you can't get, get him, him, off, him off. I was just on my way to the restroom and all of a sudden this cougar. God everyone. Yeah. Cougar repellent. Uh, thanks to Jennifer for sending that in. If you've got a if you've got a TikTok minute for us, Stacky Benjamins, uh send it to me Joe at stackybenjamins.com Coming up next, Jeff Simoleon was the founder and is the chairman of the board of Emmis Corporation in Indianapolis-based. Now a diversified company, but you know where they did all their work, OG? They were in radio. They were part of that big golden age of FM radio that went through the 70s and 80s, really transforming it. In fact, one question I got to ask him is, like, uh, what ha- What happened to FM radio? Like, man, <laughs> you remember when it was, it was what so good? What did you good? do to it? Jeff, how did you mess up radio? No, uh, (laughs) reading his new book, He Has Opinions About Radio. He also was the, uh, was former owner of the Seattle Mariners, and we'll talk about his time uh, with that as as well. Uh, But first, before Jeff, uh, Doug, I think you got some trivia for us.
3: Sure do, Joe. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And since we're talking about my favorite thing, making lots of Samoans, this day in 1984... (laughs) Oh it says Samoans. God. And there's oh no way God. I wasn't reading that the way it was written. Because my what? favorite thing is making a lot of
0: Samoans. You down, it's down blast. With, down with the Samoan <laughs> cougar, you got it the sizzler. It's what was written. It's Samoleans. Whatever.
3: Samoans. I can't read and edit at the same time. I'm just going to keep going. This day in 1984, a slow jam that earned lots of Samoan, probably Simoleons, you want me to say Simoleons this time? Thank you. Earned lots of Simoleons was released. It was called Careless Whisper. The smash hit, sung by short shorts wearing British duo Wham, sold more than six million copies worldwide. A third of those sales came from the U.S., even with the group's massive success. Andrew Ridgely, known then as Randy Andy in the press for his partying ways, was the lesser-known member of the group. The other half of Wham! went on to have a wildly successful solo career, leading him to become a celebrity on and off stage. My trivia question is this, who was the other artist besides Andrew Ridgely that made up the group Wham! I'll be back right after I carelessly whisper something to Joe's mom about burning my grilled cheese. Look, Ma, blackened grilled cheese is not a thing. No, it's not Cajun. Gold, golden brown is what I asked for. My God, how hard is that? Does no one take pride in their work
0: anymore? Well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey, stackers! This is Military Appreciation Month. You know what that means. We are recognizing all of our stackers in the audience. My good friend, Nord, it's Doug Nordman, who uh, some of you may know, he is a writer in personal finance. He's a guy I'd like to do. A shout out to, he is such a giving member of the FIRE community, the Financial Independence Retire Early community. Uh, Nords will do anything for you. It's just, just I think some of that comes from his time on a submarine, like my nephew Colin, is on a submarine right now, and all the work that uh, he did there, just a super giving member of the community. And you know what? A Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond, not this month, but every month. Navy Federal offers members only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Here's one of their offers in honor of Military Appreciation Month. Join and get $50 when you open a credit card. Of course, you want them to have your whole debt strategy planned out, don't you? Don't just go open a credit card willy-nilly, as mom says. Uh here's a disclaimer. You got to join open your membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. So get on it, Stackers. Annual percentage yield is a 0.25% for membership savings account, $5 minimum balance to open. Maintain your membership savings account to obtain the bonus. Visit Navyfederal.org for full terms and conditions. That's just one of the things. They offer 24-7 help for their US-based service members. They have resources all over the place. Head to Navy Federal dot org for full terms, conditions, and other offers. Navy and federal is insured by NCUA. Equal housing lender.
3: Hey there, stackers! I'm Never Dancer and Chance Waster. Joe's Mom's neighbor, Doug, and look, like I'm probably never going to get a grilled cheese again. Some people are just a little touchy about their cooking. I whispered my critique nicely. Thank you. Anyway. Today, in the early 80s, Wham! released its third highest ranked hit of all time, falling just under Last Christmas and Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. The British duo was made up of Andrew Ridgely and a man that would go on to become one of the best selling musicians of all time. My question is, who was the other artist that made up the group Wham! The answer is George Michael, who went on to have a solo career that eclipsed the success of Wham! And now, let's get some lessons learned on Empire Building with Jeff Smolian.
0: And I'm super happy we have him here with us. Jeff Smolian is here. How are you?
1: I am great. I'm great, Joe.
0: Well, I'm so honored that you come on our show because a lot of our stacker community, they're hoping to grow businesses. They have to make pivots. They've had to work with difficult people. And Jeff, you've, you've done all of the above and even more. But I want to start off with where you start in your book. You have a question that you ask your managers when you start a meeting. Can you tell everybody what that question is and why you ask this question every time?
1: And that was the original idea of the book is what have we learned? That's my favorite question. What, what have we learned today? What do we know? And I, it was going to be the title of the book. And then I decided that life is such a roller coaster. And mine's been so crazy that never ride a roller coaster upside down seemed like a better title. <laughs> and when you read the book, you'll understand why, Joe.
0: Yeah, well, it starts off on a lot of highs, then you go through lows, and then you high yep. again, and then you low again, and luckily and done the, on the upside, which is good. You end up upside up.
1: Been very good.
0: You've told friends a lot, Jeff, that you had to become an entrepreneur because you're unhireable.
1: What does that mean? And that means that I, I said I, I'm, I had to be an entrepreneur because no one in a free society would ever employ me. But, you know, I I always, my father was an entrepreneur. My grandfathers were entrepreneurs. It was just in my DNA. And when I was very young, I always said, I want to start a media company, which I did. Went to school, law school, uh, always with the idea of doing what I did. And uh, we celebrated 42 years. It's ironic that now we're drifting out of the media business and uh, into some other things, but I've had a fun run.
0: Well, it's funny you talk about this. I wasn't going to ask you this right away, but but a lot of people say that when it comes to radio, radio kind of imploded. A clear Channel that got so bad they had to change their name cuz so many people hated them that a lot of a lot of people in radio point to that. Do you think that radio kind of killed itself?
1: Well, I think the great fervor caused by deregulation in the Telecommunications Act of 96 Really allowed Wall Street to discover radio. And when radio was growing 5, 6, 7% a year, it would produce great cash flow. And all of a sudden, Wall Street discovered that. So instead of assets being worth 8, 9, 10 times cash flow, they all of a sudden became worth 25 times cash flow. And people paid those prices and then put on an inordinate amount of debt. To pay for those purchases and the whole thing when the industry leveled off and then you went through some downturns it left all the major players with unsustainable debt so you know clear channel now iheart has been banked once probably on the verge of it again cumulus has been bankrupt a couple times uh, Odyssey is, stock is under nine cents. It's a challenge. You know, people say, would the industry be better with no debt? Of course it would be. And one of the problems with debt is that it forced people to slash cost. So they took out a lot of the localism. At the same time, they said, we got to sell more commercials. So radio stations that have 16, 18 minutes of commercials an hour. And nobody local in the studio makes it kind of a you know un- very unattractive business. So that's the reason. And it's the reason we just said, look, we love the business more than anybody, but I think it's time for us to do something else.
0: I got to say, Cumulus, uh, Westwood One, Jeff, distributes the Stacking Benjamin Show. And now that we have the big Jeff Simoleon interview, their profits are going to go through the roof, so they're going to be
1: fine. I think that's the key to the turnaround, and I and I love Mary. I love Suzanne at West at Westwood One. You know, it's a challenging industry, but we've got good people still in it.
0: You'll be happy to hear. I want to go back to more of the golden age of radio when you began, and then you really helped engineer the golden age of FM radio. After that, but my favorite station on Sirius XM is Old Time Radio. I love those flipping old time radio shows. I think it's fantastic. But you really came into radio when that was all beginning to change. Talk about you and your initial love affair with radio and why you got involved.
1: I always thought it was more creative. You had a blank slate. In television in those days, if you were a CBS affiliate, all you had to do to make money was make sure that the switch was turned on and you got the network programming. With radio, you had a blank slate, 24-7. And I loved it. And followed the formats, was a big fan of Top 40. Top 40 always loved all sports. And when I ended up doing all sports, people thought I was crazy. And at the time it seemed like it was, but I always just thought radio was a great opportunity in media to be very creative. When you
0: went to college, you decided to get a law degree versus an MBA. Talk about that decision. And also for our younger listeners, Jeff, do you think that translates today or should you get the MBA versus the law degree if they want to do what you do?
1: I have to laugh. I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and everybody said I was going to get a master's in telecom. I went sure. to the U.S. was going to go to Stanford to get a master's. People said, no, get a law degree. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you be a lawyer. It'll prepare you. It'll give you credibility. I laugh. Today, if you ask 100 people, they say, well, we'll get an MBA. Uh, In those days, nobody thought about MBAs. They thought about law degrees. I always laughed and said, if I actually had got an MBA, I probably would have understood the concept of risk and and, and may not have actually started a business. So who knows?
0: But I like the end around because I think about people, you know, a lot of CEOs we see uh, began with like an engineering degree so that they know the nuts and bolts of what they do for you to understand contract law, I think would be a big part of what you've done over your career.
1: And school, really taught me how to understand competing interests. I think that was the most important thing. Running a business is allocating resources, understanding the various interests, and uh, and it taught you to think rationally. I always say rational thinking helps you a lot.
0: Your dad helped you with your first radio station, and you explained that. You're on the AM dial. You're way up the AM dial, but talk about that first radio station because I think there's a ton of lessons and in, in what you learned there in Indianapolis at the beginning.
1: Well, and Joe, I always said you learn the great lessons of life in adversity. The first station, my dad talked me into coming back. He had a cousin with a failing radio station. Cousin went to him for help. And my dad said, look, if you'll come back, I'll invest in this. I always say you do your best management in the most impossible situations. It was a daytimer on 1590. For those who know AM radio, the further up the dial you go, the worse you are in terms of signal coverage. Matter of fact, we had one ad that said the world next to your glove compartment, because that's where the AM dial was at 1590. <laughs> uh, but, it, you know, had some of the great people. Rick Cummings started his career there. We've been together almost 50 years. Uh, Rick's headed up our programming ever since. People know the station because David Letterman was our midday guy. So everybody knows David is the midday guy, but we had a lot of fun. It was a a process that was doomed to fail because it just wasn't, you know, you signed off at, you know, five o'clock at night in the winter, which is tough. People are driving home and the radio station's gone. But we had a lot of fun learned a lot, did some really very creative things there.
0: But I found this really interesting because I feel like you learned how to be different. You learned how to be creative. You learned, well, a lot of, you're differentiating yourself from the bigger station down the dial, right? Every chance that you get. David Letterman kind of epitomized that. You worked with him. You worked with Don Imus. You worked with Chris Russo, Mike Francesa. You worked with a lot of these big personalities. What makes a great radio star?
1: The ability to, to really relate to people. And every one of those people had the ability to relate in different ways. With David, it was funny because the first station David ever worked on, you know, was really a talk station, news talk and news talk audiences are old. And in those days, I, you know, I was 25, David was 25 and I could still remember some of the crazy bits. I, my favorite one is coming back from lunch one day and the guy called and said an older, very old listener. He called and said, Letterman's a communist. You got a communist on the air. And I said, why is he a communist? He said, well, I called him and I said, in Carmel, Indiana, which is a big suburb, uh, I know there are communists. And I told Dave that. And what do you think he said? And I said, I don't know. And he said, well, Letterman said... You got to give the communist caramel. The football team's lousy and parking is impossible to find and the streets are always torn up. So give, them, give the communist caramel and hold the line at the next supper. And so we had, we had all, and that was David. And so David was really reaching an audience which didn't get him. So you had a lot of 25 year old guys sitting there just howling, listening to this stuff, and old people saying, oh my God, what's wrong with this guy? So it, it made a lot of fun.
0: I can imagine you reading your Nielsen ratings, Jeff, and it's like a goalpost. You got these young people that are totally into Letterman and, and the other craziness. And then you got these people that just, they can't turn the dial. They're so old.
1: That, well, that's exactly I'm going to forget. We, we had one lady who sent us a postcard and said, I've listened to this radio station for 30 years. I never, ever listened to anything else. And in those 30 years, it had been country. It had been news talk. It had been urban. It had been top 40. And I'm thinking if this woman did nothing to listen to this radio station, her dial had to be soldered into that position for 30 years. Uh, How old are you at this point? I am at this point, 76 years old.
0: No. Oh, I'm sorry. At that point. Yes. At that
1: that, that point, I was about 26, 27.
0: So, so you come into this and while the station, you know, clearly isn't going in the right direction, you still, I'm sure had people that worked at the radio station. You're walking in as a young kid in in their twenties, Jeff, and you're changing the entire direction of the company. Maybe with people around you that are twice your age, that's a difficult move. How do you fortify yourself to pull off that type of a pivot?
1: Well, the most important thing you do as a manager is listen. I think we were good at that. I'm not sure I was that good at that in the very beginning, but I know when I started MS a couple of years later, it was getting great people listening to them. I have a favorite saying, Joe, I've never met anybody who walks in the door in the morning and says, how do I screw up my job? People want to do well. Our job as managers is to give them the tools to be successful, support them, guide them and work with them.
0: A lot of being a good leader. We, we just spoke to a few weeks ago, Oscar Munoz, the retired CEO of United airlines,
1: Oscar and I are on the USC board together. So oh, I know. You're <laughs> yes. on the university of Southern California board together. So I know Oscar pretty well.
0: We similarly had a wonderful time talking. as you can imagine just what a guy, but he also talks about the importance of listening, but another thing you and Oscar have in common, Jeff is your ability to tell stories like a good leader needs to tell stories. What is it that makes a good story when you're in front of a group of people you need to lead?
1: You know, I can't tell you I know that. People always laugh and say, oh, my God, it's another story. And it just (laughs) seems like my life has just been filled with crazy events that lead to a lot of crazy stories.
0: But no idea. Do you frame the story a certain way? Do you just think
1: in stories? How does that work? Probably thinking stories. My guys tease me when we go to lunch. You know, it is going to be numbers. Number 25, all right, number 25 is this story. So, you know, my wife says I've heard them all, but... uh... (laughs) You know, it just seems like there's so many crazy stories and every day seems to evoke a new memory with something else crazy that happened. Well, let's
0: talk about another crazy story you talk about a couple of years later than going off on your own. You find some people who are going to invest with you to help you purchase a radio station. Your portion of this investment is $80,000. If you do the math on what $80,000 is today, it might be three hundred, four hundred thousand $400,000 with inflation that we're looking at. You only had $40,000 at the time. Tell me about that thought about you're going to have to leverage another $40,000. You're going to have to come up with that, Jeff, but you're signing on the dotted line. Everybody, I feel like, whether it's that or buying their first car, buying their first house, comes to this inflection point where I got to take some risk. Can you walk me through what was going on in your brain that first deal?
1: probably the fact that there was no functioning brain is why I did it Joe. Um, <laughs> I never worried about it. I believed in it. I had saved $40,000. Some of the money came from winning a game show on TV and was able to borrow the money from, you know, a, a friendly bank. And people say, "Didn't you ever lose sleep at night?" And it was like, "No, I think I can do this." And I was incredibly fortunate, and incredibly lucky. First radio station we put on the air was a skyrocket. The second was a skyrocket. The third was a skyrocket. The fourth took a while, but then it became one of the biggest radio stations in America. So after five or six years, we had bought Indianapolis, Minneapolis, St. Louis, Los Angeles. Our station in Los Angeles, Power 106, became the, you know, the leading hip-hop station in the world. So everything just worked well. And then we went out and bought the Double Day stations. We did all sports radio. Then we bought the NBC stations. So we were really very fortunate. Uh, I was surrounded by great people and we were good at what we did. We understood the radio business and understood finding the right niche in a market and making it work. But people always say, you know, did you lose sleep at the beginning? I went, no, I really didn't. It's like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. I'll be okay.
0: Well, and, and I guess that's my question because this is never stated in the book, but I get this feeling that you at the time are just very confident in your mission and the fact that you will not fail.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Again, I think that's probably more stupidity than anything else, but I felt like we knew the business. I felt like we could attract great people. The hallmark of Emus has always been attracting really brilliant people. And I've been able to work with them and and so it's it's been very successful. And we've been through, you know, some horrific, some unbelievable ups and some horrific downs. But we've survived everything, I think, because of the spirit of the people and the the ability to just work through whatever life throws at you. Well, let's talk about
0: that for a second, because when you go to New York and you're going to once again with a pivot, you're going to turn a radio station into what now is the iconic, the fan. You're going to create the first all sports radio station. You do what seems to me, Jeff, like all the right things. You put the right person in charge, who's got a format that you believe in. You bring in some of the best out of town talent, the best in town talent. And this thing immediately goes south.
1: Yeah. I was going to say not so fast, Joe, and all those (laughs) (laughs) things, but you had, what seemed like the right formula. Yeah. We had the idea, the idea. Well, number one, I wanted to do all sports radio when I was daydreaming in a class at USC years before. And when I brought it up to my managers, we bought the Doubleday stations. We'd only bought FM stations. And Doubleday came with a name in New York. The, The Doubleday family owned the Mets, so they carried the Mets. And I said, this is the time to do all sports radio. And all of my managers, we voted. And this is a very collaborative group. And they voted and said, epically stupid idea and voted it down. And one of my friends said, what do you want to do? I said, you cannot lead where others won't follow. So we're not gonna do it. And the next day, a couple of my senior people came in and said, look, we're hitting on all cylinders. The company's doing great. We still think this is a stupid idea, but we owe you one, we'll do it. And we did it. We put everything together. It did not work. Jim Lampley called it the Vietnam War of Emmis. It was known as Folly. And about a year into it, we bought the NBC stations And in those days, you could only own one AM and one FM. So we moved it from 1050 to 660. We inherited Don Imus, who at the time was coming out of rehab. I had a great meeting with Don's agent uh, who I had worked with before. And I said, let's see if I get this right. The radio station's losing record amounts of money. The baseball team has more drug problems than anybody in the history of Major League Baseball. And Don Imus has been in and out of rehab for the last five years. What could possibly go wrong putting all this together? <laughs> but it all came together. Don, you know, was brilliant. We put Mike and the Mad Dog on. And all of a sudden, you know, this disaster it became, you know, one of the biggest stages in America. The chapter in the book is my favorite saying, the line between being a genius and an idiot is very fine. And I bet on both sides. So the chapter about WFAN is idiot to genius. The next chapter about owning the Seattle Mariners was genius to idiot.
0: No, actually, that's the last topic I wanted to uh, get to. And we'll let people, because we're guys, we're only talking about about the first third of this book. There's so many lessons here. I want to pause on Imus for a second, because it's funny with Imus as part of the turnaround. You said that some of his saying, some of the things he talked about, about WFAN were some of the most iconic things. And yet they were all very disparaging, but those brought a ton of new listeners. What were some of Imus's famous sayings about how crappy this radio
1: station was? My favorite bit, and it's still in, in my entire career, my favorite bit, he would he would do six to 10 in the morning and at 10 o'clock he would sign off by saying, this now ends the entertainment portion of today's programming. For the next 20 hours, you will hear mindless drivel from idiots talking about sports. For more entertainment Tune back in tomorrow morning at 6 (laughs) (laughs) a.m. One of the big bits. I'll never forget the night before he signed on. We were at Shea Stadium, and he said, I'm signing on this radio station tomorrow for the first time. These idiots don't realize I'm one stiff drink away from completely destroying the entire radio station. But that was Don, and he was brilliant. And I loved him. He was crazy, challenging to work with, but a brilliant man.
0: Well, I was going to ask. What do you think about the, the, the? You know, a lot of people sadly remember him for the one phrase that he talked about about Rutgers. What do you think about that particular moment in Don's life?
1: Well, it was certainly an egregious mistake. I think Don, you know, when you have so much success, sometimes hubris cuts in and you you lose some of the filtering that you should have. I think that may have been Don's biggest problem. But, you know, I judge him by his his whole career, and and he certainly had controversy. He was, you know, a challenge to manage, but a, a brilliant guy.
0: I always thought it was amazing how Don always seemed to keep himself clean and would create these characters that always said the bad stuff, usually, you know? It was one of his hallmarks. Yes. You draw one more thing about that, just briefly, Jeff, which is you draw a line between him and Howard Stern. Yeah. That Don was certifiably seemed like he was crazy in and out of the radio, where Howard Stern really, you said, had two different personalities.
1: Yeah, Randy Bongart, who ran WNBC and managed both of them at the same time, you know, we, we'd always talk about the contrast. Whatever you got with Don, you got 24-7. That's who he was. He could be a curmudgeon. He could be challenging. He could be funny. he could be difficult. With Howard, you know, Howard, you'd listen and you think, this is this out-of-control guy who's doing all this stuff. And at 10 o'clock in the morning, you sit down with Howard, and he'd clinically say, you know, I did this. Here was the reason. So it was very cerebral. He was a, a very disciplined guy. Now, he also went over lines and got millions of dollars of fines. So, there's
0: uh, just one general uh, short question I have about your time as the owner of the Seattle Mariners. I feel like, Jeff, the time that you owned the Mariners really ushered in this era of prosperity. And yet, when you were there, man, the things that you had to do to even begin to make it prosperous, you had a company, Microsoft, that was not investing any money in advertising in Seattle, but they were investing a ton in Toronto. When I read that, that was incredible. You had a city council that was openly hostile to your organization. You had a facility, the Kingdome, which is kind of
1: thought about the same way that Tampa Bay's facility is thought about today. we sweet. We looked at Tampa Bay's facility and we said, My God, this is this is definitely better than ours because the light comes through.
0: <laughs> what ultimately went wrong in Seattle?
1: Everything. But you know, I mean, and I look back on it, it was the best management we ever did. We created things in the ballpark that nobody had ever done. We did singles nights, we had concerts, we developed a kid's zone. My favorite, we, we, you know, because of my old radio days, we developed situational music where somebody would come up to bat and we'd play a song. My favorite one, which should have gotten us in trouble, but didn't, Louis Polonia played, you know, for the Yankees. But when he was in Milwaukee, he had a statutory rape charge. So when he came up, we played, she was just 17, you know what I mean? Oh, no, oh, no. But we did all sorts of, we did more fun stuff indoor fireworks, the, the Mariner Moose mascot. My dearest friend was president of the team, and the day we sold it, he said, What well, could we have done? I said, Look, the day we bought it, we were doomed. We didn't have the resources. You know, in those days, you know, we got a $12 million collusion payment. Nobody thought we could never get a cable deal. I, I said, In those days, to own the Mariners or the Kansas City Royals, you really had to be a billionaire. If you owned the Yankees or the Dodgers, if you had a paper route, you could be fine. That we just didn't have the wherewithal to do it, but we learned a lot. I was very proud of that. I always said the best management we ever did is in the worst situations.
0: Well, and I think it's a great, great place to leave it, Jeff, because that's what I got throughout the book is that the big aha is when things are going bad, that's when you learn the most. Like you don't learn a ton when you're when things are going phenomenally well. You learn a ton when things aren't going great.
1: Absolutely right, Joe. It's, you know, it, it, that's the, if you, you can get through the adversity, you know, I always say the most important thing is perseverance, grit, and integrity. If your word matters, nothing else matters. And if you're willing to to roll up your sleeves when things are tough, that's when you can find solutions.
0: The book is Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down, The Ups, Downs, and Reinvention of an Entrepreneur. If you're somebody that either has a boss, you manage people. You just love roller coaster rides of careers. You're going to love this. Jeff, you can get it everywhere, I assume.
1: Yeah, everywhere that books are sold. Uh, I guess most people buy books on Amazon. So if you type in my name or never ride a roller coaster upside down, it'll click on and you can buy it.
0: And we'll link to it in our show notes. Yeah, stackingbenjamins.com.
1: I have to laugh. I did the audio book. I said my biggest sale was to the CIA because they, they went to Guantanamo and found that people would rather be water waterboarded than listen to me for 10 hours. So.
0: <laughs> which, by the way, we didn't get to this, but you have 11 things that Ennis employees follow, but there's a 12th one that's unofficial, which is always take the cheap shot. And there it was.
1: Always have you. Yeah, always take the <laughs> shot. Always have laughs. And, and we've been able to do that forever.
0: Jeff, thanks a ton, man, for helping our stackers. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Joe. My pleasure. I'm Andy Dwyer, and when I'm not pulling suckers off my tomato plants in my garden, I'm stacking Benjamins.
0: Big thanks to Jeff Simoleum for joining us. You, you know, I think, uh, OG, one of the things that, um, that took me a while to learn is that you don't, you don't really learn anything from your successes, and clearly like Jeff went through. He's had tons of successes, but just the amount of time he spends talking about his failures, and talking mm. about what could have been different and the fact that he learned from those failures and took a break. Like, I feel like we take our failure moments like, yeah, 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 I don't want to talk about those. But if you really, I mean, those are those are the I can't think of the last time from something I did well that I got a big aha versus the stuff right. I mess up.
2: Fail quickly. Is that the phrase? Yeah, like just absolutely. Get on with it,
0: but also acknowledge it. I know yeah. when I was young, I didn't want to acknowledge any of my failures, you know? I was like, nah, I don't want to. And I don't know if that's, you know, easier for me to say now, because then I had to make sure my boss thought I was great, so you had to do some marketing with your boss right. and stuff. But but still, I think there's something in finding the right way to own it, you know, to own yeah. own your failures.
3: You're
2: either, you're either winning or learning, right? Those well, are the two options.
3: Yeah, I'm glad you said that, OG. I used to do that with uh, in team meetings that I had all the time, where we would... Every team meeting, somebody would have to talk about a failure and, OG, what they learned from it. Because I wanted to be able to talk about what we screwed up as long as we realized what we did and what we what we did and what we would do differently next time. And then I wanted yeah. everybody else on the team to learn from that failure so it was, so that they didn't have to make the mistake. And I wanted to make it okay to talk about it. And uh, it's really hard, even even giving them that forum they, they were doing what you just talked about, Joe. They were trying to do the marketing and put the polish and the spin on it to make it not seem to, I'm like, no, just, w- look, I probably screwed up four times this morning. Relax and just talk about how bad it was. It's fine. It'll be funny.
0: Have you guys heard that joke, the one about the guy getting interviewed? And and they ask him, Doug, to your point, they ask him, what is your biggest weakness? And the guy said, well, <laughs> yeah. I think I'm too honest. And the, the interviewer goes, well, I don't think that's a weakness. And the guy goes, I don't care what you say. <laughs> just horrible yeah and it goes back to jeff at the beginning of the interview doug saying the same thing that um that you know what did we learn from this is is like job one uh by the way back to wham careless whisper pretty good song doug pretty good song
3: it's it is a pretty good song but it is not george michael's best as we both know a different corner a different corner definitely after we talked about that late last night Listening to the rain come down, I was blasting a different corner. Like <laughs> no, you fourth, weren't. I was. I swear Were to God, you really. I probably listened to it three times in a row. It it's, was. It's it was beautiful.
0: Cheesy ass goodness, right
3: there. They're so cheesy what you guys and are so good.
0: About. Oh, just a.
3: And I actually because he released that as like a single. It wasn't even one of part of his albums. So everybody listening right now needs to go hit up Spotify or iTunes yeah. and, and listen to it. Just get ready to corner. chill. Good song. A, di- a different corner.
0: Hey, time to throw out the Haven Lifeline. This is the part of the show where we tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, OG, oh, they put what you value first.
2: Dramamine.
3: <laughs> Why?
0: Oh, because
3: he's at he's at Cedar Point right now, and he's getting a
0: little <laughs>
3: he's getting a little
0: motion sickness. I had, I had, I had <laughs> lost the reference. Funny, what half an hour will do. Yeah, yeah. It's why they made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. You're probably thinking about your life insurance decisions as you're climbing every roller coaster hill. <laughs> you
3: stand in line for 45 <laughs> minutes for one of those rides.
2: You're funny. They have fast passes,
0: bro. You go to StackyBedgments.com slash Haven Life to get your free quote. Love what they're doing at Haven Do Life. Do stand in line? Yes, it's simple. It's online. By the time, Even in the fast pass lane, by the time you get to the front, you've already got your life insurance. Application simple online, instant coverage decision, prices are affordable. Matt uh, from Haven Life may be like, yeah, we're fast, but you might not have your life insurance yet.
3: (laughs) Can we send them a bill for not only this spot, our genius, but for the marketing genius that that you just came up with? Because they need to be posting like little ads in the waiting line. Get your uh, roller coasters. Life insurance is going to sell like hotcakes while you're standing in line for a roller coaster.
2: How,
0: how horrifying would
2: that be? Have you guys seen? Have you seen the? Uh, I think it's the newest one. Y- you go up and then it flattens <laughs> it takes out, out, out. Your lower then, intestine. Yeah, and <laughs> it, it just it it you dangle over the ninety degree drop. Oh yeah, for, for like six seconds before it releases. I've done and one of those. It's great. You you go and then you start to, mm-hmm. and then it goes.
1: Yeah, oh. <gasps> no,
3: I like it. I love I love all of those. I haven't been in a while, but I love roller coasters. I come love on all that down stuff.
2: With, there's still time. You can
0: make it. Their prices are affordable applications. Simple. It's online. You get an instant coverage decision. Go to stack slash Haven Life before you head to the theme park. All right. Uh, today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to Jennifer. Say hi, Jennifer. Hey,
2: Joe and OG. Greetings from
0: a fellow Michigander turned Texan. Go blue. My name's Jen. I'm 42 years old and just started classes to become a CFP. Through listening to a bunch of personal finance podcasts, I've kind of figured out that that is my passion. Um, I've had my CPA license for seven years, but I'm wanting to make that transition. So any tips, tricks, or advice y'all could give me about getting my CFP, I would greatly appreciate it. Also, how to get those 6,000 hours in, um, while also working a full-time job that is
1: not personal financial planning tips for that too, would be great. I love y'all show. I've been binge listening to it for a while now trying to catch up and you can get Doug my t-shirt.
0: Bye. Jed, Jed, thank you so much for the call. Congratulations on starting this journey. It's a great, great journey by the way. And we would, we were just about to hand Doug your shirt when we realized I looked at it. It's a women's cut. It's a women's culture. That's great on me. So uh, I think we need to save the women's
3: Sadly, pile. Sadly, the
2: rules do not allow it. I'm sorry. Did you hear sorry. How, she
0: sl- how
3: many y'alls she slipped in? Like she's trying to convince all the Texans she's native. I don't know. She lost me at Go Blue. I didn't hear what the, the whole question was about. <laughs> I had no idea. That's when OG started taking
0: notes. Yes. Oh, gee, how does she get those hours? She has to have a lot of hours to get that CFP. And if you got a full-time job doing something else, what have you seen people do?
2: Well, I mean, I guess ultimately you just have to decide what, uh, you know, if you're earning a CFP designation for purely edification purposes, I think there's a lot more useful things to do with your time and money, honestly. So my guess is, is that she's probably planning on using this to kind of further her business or her career. career in terms of, you know, working in that, uh, in that space. So really the only way to do it is to go work in the space, right? I mean, the CFP board, I think allows you to do uh volunteer time and count that, but I'm not entirely sure how long it would take to volunteer 6,000 hours. That seems like a, it seems like a boatload. Is of- it
0: possible to do it? Do you know many financial planners that would hire somebody on a side gig basis you know, work that doesn't have to be done maybe right now, but stuff that could pile up while she's at her day job and she does uh, nights and weekends.
2: Well, there's some kind of remote virtual type stuff like that, for sure. Kind of the part time advisor thing or part time, you know, behind the scenes, you know, paraplanner type role for sure. Yeah. But again, you know, you think about the timing of that. What can you do on nights and weekends? Another 10, 20 hours a week, maybe like if you're really kind of hustling, like how long is that going to take? to kind of burn out. It's going to be six years of every night and weekend. So I think from a career standpoint, what I would look at is, is there a way to, cause this could take a while to finish up the education requirements and sit for the exam. Is there a way to kind of build in a buffer in what you're doing right now that you can, as soon as you get your CFP, go start working in the CFP world. It may not pay the same as being a CPA, but turn the CPA gig into your part-time gig. You know what I mean? Well, like, flip it around, go get a job as an advisor, which will pay, you know, decent money. I mean, it's not going to be like a tenured CPA money yet, but it will get there. And then do the CPA job as a side hustle. One of the things I was just talking to a friend of mine about is I have not ever met, well, I rarely meet, I should say, a forward-looking CPA. Most CPA people are, tell me the stuff you've done last year and I will tell you exactly what box to put it in.
0: I'll put the jigsaw puzzle together.
2: Yeah. And and trust me, it, entrepreneurs and, you know, complex personal tax return, we need that stuff. But there's not a lot of people who really focus on here's what the next couple of years can look like. Here are the strategies to do today. And and I think that's a unique mix. If you have the ability to do that, you'll bring a lot of value to an organization almost immediately. So I don't know why you can't just go right to the advisor space as soon as you get your CFP done. And maybe it's just the comp, right? It's like, well, you know, I'm only going to paid 75 grand. I make 200 as a CPA or something. That could be the case. But I wonder if there's a way to kind of flip that around, be a full-time advisor, side hustle the CPA in between now, and then start kind of building that reserve, building that cushion to kind of bridge that gap.
0: So find the job first, find the company that wants to hire her for there will be she any has, trouble.
2: Yeah, and where she's going, she yeah. will be able to find a job as an advisor instantaneously. Mm-hmm. It's not a. It's the not question hard. is
0: just going to be: Is does it pay enough? So maybe, Jen, maybe your answer is: is to begin building up a beefier emergency fund to swim yeah. that moat, right?
2: Yeah, if that's really the issue, which maybe is kind of the underlying theme, is is like I can't, I can't go get a seventy thousand dollar a year job, you know, for a long time because right now I make you know, buck 50 or something, you know, and that's what I need for my family. So between now and getting done, get that cash reserve up. The other thing that's really cool is that from a motivational standpoint, you know, there is no motivation better than like being hungry. You know, I mean, literally being hungry. To get it done. The path of being an advisor is a lot different now than it used to be, but it's still largely based on the value that you provide for people. And if you can provide a lot of value, you'll you'll be paid a lot of money either in your own entrepreneurial endeavor or, or, you know, working with a, with a firm. So I think there's a lot of opportunity.
0: Thanks Jennifer for the call. If you've got a question for OG and I head to stackingbenjamins.com slash voicemail, and we will be absolutely certain to send you a greatest money show on earth, uh, t t-shirt. Happy to do that for people brave enough to call and ask a Question and we even answered a CFP question in a long time. O.G. Been a little um, bit. Yep. Yeah, Jennifer, and good luck on your journey. We'd love to hear more as you're as you're heading down that road. Hey, time for the community calendar before we say goodbye to you. Coming up in early September, I will be at Camp Phi. Camp Phi is uh, is just a fantastic time. It, it sounded absolutely horrible to me. Oh, gee, when I, first, when I first heard of it, I'm like, great. I'm going to uh, some retreat center in the middle of nowhere with people I don't know. And I'm sleeping on a bed with a mattress that's uh, not very thick. And I'm like, uh, pass. But Stephen Boyer, the amazing uh, creator of Camp Fi, kept working on me. And finally, our, our friend Doc G from our sister show, Earn and Invest, said, you got to go. You, you, you got to go. And I went, and it was amazing. So if you want to join me at Camp Fi Texas... I will be there. Uh, that's September 8th, 9th, 10th. And then we leave on the 11th. So September 8th, 9, 10th, 11th, go to campfi.org uh, for more details. I think we'll have Steven on do to they, talk about campfires because they're they super cool. they
3: all over the place, Joe? They Are do. Camp
0: like all over the country? Because they keep hearing about them. And, and... Yeah, basically what happened was Mr. Money Mustache, uh, Pete, created a, a thing called Camp Mustache, but he didn't want to do it nationally. And Steven said, he's like, hey, do you, If you're not going to take this nationally, do you mind if I make this available for people so they get this camaraderie and this kind of uh, great, more four-day intensive experience? And Pete, to his credit, said, yes, even take it and do it. Sweet. And It's it, it it's truly transformative. You show up with 30 people you don't know. You leave with a bunch of new friends. In fact, I'll be in Bali at the beginning of October with the creator who I met at Camp Fi. You make these great, great friendships that are... Very solid because you're talking about the stuff that you value. It, it isn't so much about money as it is about values. But anyway, campfire.org. if you want to join me at the Texas one or Doug, to your point, go to any of them. But we should have Steven on in the next couple of weeks to just chat about it with us.
3: Plus probably communal showers, right? That's uh, n- <laughs> uh, Luckily, Like in no. the old days with the camp where it was just like one big room with like six shower heads and you're like, this is the most awkward thing in my life.
0: The one I went to, No. Yeah, and I'm there in the shower, and then the cougar attacks me from behind again. That's the campfire I'm <laughs> looking for. <laughs> Just, yeah, not, not the case. All right, uh, that's going to do it for today, except for this. If you're not here to go camping with with a bunch of like-minded individuals, you weren't here to hear about the owner of the Seattle Mariners and his uh, trials and tribulations. You're here because of the fact you need a better team in your corner. OG and his team are taking clients now. So head to stackingbenjamins.com slash OG. That's the link to OG's calendar where you can talk to him about making better choices when it comes to your financial planning the rest of the year and beyond. Man, it's wild how quickly this year's gone. I can't believe we're headed into August. Just crazy how fast it's gone. Mm-hmm. All right, OG, good luck on the roller coasters, man. Thanks, I'll be buddy. looking for the YouTube videos of uh
2: my oh, phone going the... flying through the air. <laughs> it's like, here's us going up the thing and the phone gone ah, <laughs> and
0: it's gone. Yes. Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe,
3: first, take some advice from Jeff Smullian and never ride a roller coaster upside down with your phone out. Second, take some advice from our headline and review your estate plans now. And like OG said, make sure you review it occasionally to make sure it still reflects your wishes. But the big lesson? Guilty feet have got no rhythm. Or, you know, so I've heard. Thanks to Jeff Smolian for joining us today. You'll find his book, Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down, wherever books are sold. You know what? We'll also put a link in our show notes page to an Amazon link, and if you click that link, you'll also help these guys finally pony up for a better chair for their number one announcer guy. Doesn't cost you any more, and I actually get to sit without having to hold myself against the table. It's a win-win. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2023, and is created by Joe Salcijai. Our producer is Karen Repine. This show was written by Lacey Langford, who's also the host of the Military Money Show, with help from me, Joe, and Doc G from the Earn & Invest podcast. Kevin Bailey helps us take a deeper dive into all the topics covered on each episode in our newsletter called The 201. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just visit stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Tina Eichenberg makes the video version of this show. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude and Kate Yunkin are our social media coordinators. And Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So say hello when you see us posting online. To join all The Basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com basement. Not only should you not take advice from these nerds, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show.
2: I've got a uh, trailer for an after show, if you want.
0: Uh, what's the trailer you're going to
2: do? Tulsa King.
1: <laughs> At 26, I took an oath. You know the one. I've been asked if what I did was worth 25 years. Now, I'm going to see if it was. White and fresh. I want you to go to Tulsa. He You serious? You need a cap? So uh, where to, boss? You could run like crazy. Do whatever you want. I need to see your books. Are you from the government? I just knocked your guard out, and you think I'm a CPA? Sit down. I might be in charge with almost getting shot, because I don't think that's a crime, even in Oklahoma.
2: <laughs> Tulsa King, written by uh, Taylor Sheridan, the guy from uh, Yellowstone. He's got his fingers in everything. Apparently so. Started watching this on the airplane back from a quick trip to Chicago. Uh, Pretty good so far. Pretty good. Basically, Sylvester Stallone comes out of prison. He's been in prison for 25 years. Kept his mouth shut the whole time. Shows back up to the mafia boss's house. He's like, you know what you got for me? I saved your bacon for 25 years. And they go, you're going to Tulsa. He's like, what are you talking about? And, uh, you know, shows up and he's, he's got to make a, he's got to turn Tulsa into owned by the mafia, basically. What's the time period? Present day. Yeah. Present day. So he shows up in Tulsa the first little scene. He gets on the, gets, gets, you know, he's been locked up for 25 years. So he's kind of like seeing new stuff for the first time. Like you can tell he's noticing like electric bikes and he's like, what the heck? And, uh, so he gets, he gets in the cab and he's driving down the road. He sees a legal, like a marijuana dispensary. He goes, what the heck is that? He's like, oh man, that's where you you sell weed. He goes, what? He's like, you can't even. So he just walks in and the guy's like, uh, you know, there's this big, big kerfuffle. Basically he shakes the guy down, the business owner down. He's like, yeah, this is a federal offense. You can't have all this money. So I'm going to protect it for you. And so now you're going to give me 20% every week. The guy's like, do I have a choice in this? He goes, no, no, you you don't. And so he's just going around kind of building this, building this empire. Security empire. Yes, security. And, and there's a lot of other backstories that go on. He, he's out at a bar, uh, you know, kind of gets hit on by this uh, by this woman. And they go out and turns out the next day she finds out in her meeting, she's in a meeting in her office and they're like, hey, so this longtime felon just showed up in our office and it pans to her and she's an ATF agent. So now they've got oh. they've got a thing and and nice. uh so anyways, it's uh it's kind of there's some comedy in it. It's not good fellas. It's not like hardcore How many episodes in are you? Uh I think I got 3 done. Okay. I think I got 3 done. I think they might be on the second season already. So, oh. um
3: Oh, it got picked up again. So it must be pretty good.
2: I think. I'm, I can't confirm that. I There's only a way to search that up. I wouldn't do that, but um, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so three episodes in, I'll probably finish out the season and see what happens. Awesome. Tulsa Kings.
0: Well, Stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly Navy federal offers member only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members, to help them reach their goals. Visit Navy federal.org slash celebrate. And you'll see all their military appreciation month offers and other Navy federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site. Like, Best cities after service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.